December 25th. It was Christmas Day, right? Yes? Okay. I hope I got the right day there. It's a time to remember the birth of Christ. It's a time to reflect on all the things that God has done for us and, and His sacrifice and the power of His resurrection. It's also a time to, to spend with family and friends. A time to, to remember those precious traditions that we have in our family. Sometimes those quirky traditions that we have in our family. It's a time to share those gifts that we spent from August to December looking for those people and searching for those people to find the perfect gift for them to open on Christmas Day. September 26th. Does anybody know what September 26th is? September? December. Sorry. <laughs> wrong month. Right, right date, wrong month. <laughs> December 26th. It's actually National Winers Day. W-H-I-N-R-E-S. National Winers Day. And it's a day about me, basically. It's a, it's a time to, to think about myself, to return those unwanted gifts like that battery-powered sweater with Rudolph on it, you know? Or the, the CD player when I specifically ask for an iPod. I'm returning that CD player. Or it's a time to buy one of those gifts that nobody thought of, like the red sports car. I mean... I don't know why people didn't buy it for me. It was on my list. We're so spoiled, aren't we? We're so used to this, this idea of having everything that we want when we want it. And if we don't get it, we start complaining. You know, there's so much need in our world. There's so, much, so many people who have actual, real needs, real trouble, real heartache, going on in their life. And we've had it in our, in our lives too, haven't we? Things that, that kind of bring us back to reality, that kind of help us to focus on what really is important in my life. You know, instead of those, those things with the iPods and the sweaters and all of that, what really is important? My family, my friends, my relationship with God, those things are kind of brought up to a different level, aren't they? It's so true that trouble and tragedy change our perspective on what's important in life. Trouble is something that we're all familiar with. We look at, at Wall Street and we see it tumbling. We see people who, who are in desperate need. They, they've lost their pensions. They've lost um, their retirement funds. It's gone. You know, we see car companies shutting down and, and high uh, unemployment rates. Those things that, that are on the national level, are we look at it and we kind of become devastated by it many times. But even more than that, bring it down to a personal level. Not enough money to pay the bills, or a loved one passing away, or a loss of a job, or ruptured pipes. Those are the things that really bring us back to reality, don't they? Here in Habakkuk, the book that we're going to be looking at, he gives his testimony of triumph in the midst of trouble, in the midst of all the chaos that was going on in his life that we'll look at. He chose something else. He chose not to be a part of it in a way. That's what we're going to talk about, triumph in the midst of trouble. Now, we're going to look at Habakkuk, so 
You can go ahead and, and open to it now because it, it's kind of hard to find sometimes. I marked it, so I got it. It's uh, right before the book of Zephaniah, then Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then you have the New Testament. So it's right near the end of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. But before we look at that passage, we're going to get a little perspective on where we are. Because if you're like me, you're kind of like, okay, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, what's going on there? What? I have no idea. So we're going to take a look. You know, Israel had changed a lot since the days of Solomon. There, was, there used to be one united kingdom of Israel. And one king, it was David, Solomon. Solomon was like the wisest man. And, uh, you know, built up all this wealth for, for himself and really for the glory of God. And now, in Habakkuk's day, the nation of Israel was split. There were two parts. There was a northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. It was like the, there was a, a Mason-Dixon line of the Middle East right there between the northern and southern kingdoms. The northern kingdom of Israel was, had already been taken into captivity. They were, they were already under subjection of another nation. Habakkuk was written right before the invasion of the Babylonians in 605 B.C. You know, the stories of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That's the, that's the guy, Nebuchadnezzar. He's the one who came in and uh, invaded Judah in 605 B.C. Now, the book of Habakkuk is a, a heart-to-heart conversation between Habakkuk and God. It's really one of the most deeply personal, personal books in the Old Testament. You know, a lot of times we see uh, in, in the prophets, the books of prophets, we see that God gave the prophet a message and the, the prophet declared it to the people. This kind of, you, you get an inside look at, at how that prophecy came, at how he got that message. It was just a conversation between him and God. It was a question and answer session, basically. And uh, Habakkuk had two questions for God. The first one is found in chapter 1. It says, how can, I permit, uh, how can a holy God permit unholiness to go unchecked? God, these people, Judah, they are your chosen people. You've promised them certain things. They've promised you certain things. They're supposed to be set apart, different than, than the entire world that they were surrounded by. And yet, they're acting just like them so full of, of um, disregard for the laws of God and, and, and uh, all the things that, that God wanted for their lives, the positive things, they've disregarded. They've thrown aside. How can God let unholiness go unchecked? We look at that in our own world and we say, how can God allow bad things to happen to good people, right? That's a big question that people have. And Habakkuk had it too. That's the question that he had for God. You know what God's response was? Habakkuk, don't worry. I'm raising up the Babylonians. They're going to come in and destroy Judah. Habakkuk was like, uh, oh, that's not really what I was looking for. Could we try something else? Maybe, uh, you know, just whip them into shape a little bit real quick, you know, and then move on. His second question to God was, how can God permit a more wicked nation to come in to judge God's holy people. 
And God says to Habakkuk, don't worry. I will also judge the Babylonians for their wickedness. You don't have to worry. It's going to be done. Chapter 3, the chapter that, we're going to, that our passage is in, that we're going to look at, is a psalm or song of Habakkuk. It's, it's, uh, if you look at verse 1, uh, if I can find it, I did mark it, but, you know, turning pages is difficult. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to the Shiganoth. The Shiganoth, now, that's kind of like, uh, that doesn't make any sense, and it didn't to me either, so I looked it up. And it's a highly emotional, poetic form of music. And it was often used in, in worship. It was kind of a, a, a song that really talked about the emotions, what was going on inside of me, and just kind of let it all out. So that's what the, the song is. So as we look at verses 16 through 19, we need to keep that in mind. It's the end of a song to God. A very emotional song. And really, 16 through 19 is a summary of God's power and salvation. So let's look at the text. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews. Habakkuk, there we are. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. I heard, and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones, and in my place I trembled. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no fruit, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet and has made me walk in my high places. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you and looking at this passage and, and want to know what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, we are surrounded by troubles and trials and and things going on in our lives that really affect the way we look at everything. Lord, I pray that you would show us what you would have us to do by Habakkuk's example. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The beginning of verse 16 says, I heard. So what did he hear? That's kind of important if we know what his reaction. He was trembling and he was all afraid and you know, all this stuff was going on, on in his mind. What did he hear? Now, my natural thought would be, well, he heard about the, that uh, the, Chaldean, the Babylonians were coming, and they were going to destroy him, and, and, well, that's half the picture, but let's go back and look at verse 1, or verse 2 again. Verse 2 of chapter 3 says, Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear that's what he heard. He heard about the mighty acts of God. He really heard about God's track record. And that's what chapter 3 talks about. And you can look at that and, and see how God worked in Israel's and Judah's life. There were a couple events that he talked about as well. He mentions the, the ten plagues in Egypt and God's victory over the so-called gods of Egypt. 
the ones that, that had no power, no authority, but yet God was the one who showed victory, showed himself powerful. He also talks about the Red Sea victory, where the, the people of Israel were going through the Red Sea on dry ground. A miracle. Amazing. And here comes the, the, Babylon, the Egyptians after them, coming after them, pursuing them, and then the Red Sea collapsed over them. It was a big victory for Israel. They were saved from their enemy. They were taken away from that, that pursuing of the ones who wanted to harm them and bring them hurt. It also talks about the extended day victory, as I call it. When, when Joshua was battling the Amorites, and Israel was battling the Amorites, and Joshua pleaded to God, and he said, God, stop the sun and the moon in its spot so that we can have victory over the Amorites, so that there will be enough day for us to finish the job. And that's what happened. The sun and the moon stood still in the sky. So chapter 3 talks about the amazing victories that God brought into the lives of Israel. Looking back at these victories, Habakkuk set, sets the stage for confidence that he will judge his enemies and he will rescue his people. That's what's happened in the past. Time after time after time, God has judged his enemies and delivered his people. Really, when he says something, he's going to do it. And that's what that passage is about. When he told Adam and Eve, if you eat of this, the fruit of this tree, you will die, he meant it. They ate, we have death all around us. When he told the Pharaoh of Egypt, through Moses, let my people go or else. When Pharaoh didn't let his people go or else happened, didn't it? All the prophecies about the Messiah that were given throughout the Old Testament were ful fulfilled in Christ. You can trust that what God says he's going to do, especially when it comes to his word. Well, no, all the time. Whenever he says anything, that's what he's going to do. He's promised it. We can trust that, that all the future things that the Bible tells us about, it's going to happen. All those things that for our own living, for our own good, the Bible says... Be sure that your sins will find you out. And guess what? We can be sure that our sins will find us out, can't we? It, it talks about God's unlimited power, his authority over all things. He doesn't have to go to somebody like you or me and say, uh, I really want to do this, but what do you think? You think this is a good idea or not, or I'm still undecided here? No, he said, this is what it is. It's going to happen. So that's what Habakkuk was hearing. He was hearing the mighty power of God, and it was confirmed that this is going to happen. Chapters 1 and 2, that's going to happen. The, the um, Babylonians' invasion, that's going to happen. The Babylonians' judgment, that's going to happen. He said that was going to happen, and it would happen. And this is, this is the physical reaction that Habakkuk felt. Look at, look at the rest of the verse 16. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones, 
and in my place I trembled. Can you picture Habakkuk in that state of just shaking, that kind of fear? You know, it's much like the moments right before a car wreck. You know, you're driving along, everything's fine, then all of a sudden something happens, right? And you know that the inevitable is coming. You are going to have this accident, no doubt. You can almost feel that the pain that's coming. You, you worry about the family that you have in the car. You remember the insurance payment you missed. And you go, oh, that's not going to be good. Your heart's in your throat. Your heart won't stop beating. And you brace for the impact. That's the picture of Habakkuk as he comes here to this song. He's saying, oh, I know it's going to happen. Oh, I know that God is going to judge us because he's promised it. And every time he promised something, he came through and he did it. So it's coming. You know, we've all had bad news that's made us feel sick. We've opened the unexpected bill, probably from the car wreck. We've gotten a phone call in the middle of the night with the bad news. We've watched national and international tragedies occur right before our faces. And we can feel it with everything that we have. It's almost like I just want to crawl under a rock, disappear. That's it. And that's what Habakkuk was feeling. It's interesting, though. In the midst of this fear, Habakkuk chose two things here. He chose rest and confidence. Look at the end of verse 16. It says, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. Habakkuk had to wait for God to come through on his promise about the judgment against the Babylonians. There was nothing he could do. He was powerless. He couldn't ward off the Babylonians. He knew that any attack or, or stronghold that, that Judah had would fall because God had said it was going to happen. The New King James Version says that I might rest in the day of trouble. You know, the Bible talks a lot about rest and encourages us to rest, take rest. I want you to rest in me. Now, why would we, be need, why would we have to be told to rest? My answer is that we're not resting. We're not doing it. It's like we have access to the everlasting arms of God, Right? to wrap us up, to keep us safe, and we're like a little kid trying to wiggle out, trying to get out. For some reason, there's safety in those arms, but we just, hmm, uh, we can't rest. It's important, it's so important to abide in Christ through good times and through trouble. We need to rest. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Cease striving, or be still, or let go, relax. Cease striving and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. He has those everlasting arms. Just rest in that. And that's what Habakkuk decided to do. He said there's really no other alternative. The other thing that Habakkuk chose was confidence. The same thing that brought him fear, knowing that the Babylonians were going to come in, invade, and desolate the land, that same fear 
also brought Habakkuk confidence because he knew that God had also promised that the Babylonians would be judged one day. That he would bring about, God would bring about victory for his people. So that is the trouble. That's the trouble that Habakkuk was facing. The next thing, uh, not only the terror at God's work, but also the terror at the Babylonians' work. Verse 17 talks about the effects of what the Babylonians are going to do. It was very clear to Habakkuk and to the other prophets, as we'll see, that this is what's going to happen. As you read this verse, remember that it's a part of a song. It's kind of building up to a crescendo. It's kind of that, that building up to that high point that's going to basically open up. And so there's three sets that are increasing in, in energy and really in severity for the, the Babylonians, what the Babylonians are going to do. If you look in verse 17, there's three sets of though and, though and, though and. So we're going to read those. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines. Though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no fruit, food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. That is the result of the invasion. First, the fruits and the vines. Maybe, maybe some of the pleasures that they had. Maybe some of those things that that were extras in their life would be completely wiped out. Not only that, but the oil and the grain from the olive, the things that they used to, to cook with and the things that they used for their, as their very basic necessities were wiped out. The next step was their livelihood. The meat that they eat and sell for a living to stay alive those essentials were wiped out. It corresponds with a prediction in, in Jeremiah 5.17. Jeremiah was uh, a prophet that lived at the same time as Habakkuk. They were contemporary prophets together. And Jeremiah says in 5.17, They will devour your harvest and your food. They will devour your sons and your daughters. They will devour your flocks and your herds. They will devour your vines and your fig trees. They will demolish the sword. Uh, they will demolish with the sword your fortified cities in which you trust. All those things that you place trust in, that you think are givens, it's going to be taken away. And you'll have nothing. Can you imagine that incredible devastation of the land? And by the way, it it happened. It, it came true. The Babylonians came in and devastated the land. So here's Habakkuk having this heavy information, and it re, it's called a burden many times, uh, uh, well, a couple times in, in the book of Habakkuk. This burden of Habakkuk that he had to share with the people. So what is Habakkuk to do? He's, he's got this, this problem, this issue, this trouble. He knows it's going to happen. It hasn't even happened yet, but he knows that he can feel the weight of it. We've seen the trouble. Now, here's the triumph. These next verses tell, tell us how Habakkuk chose to deal with the trouble. Verse 18. 
records Habakkuk's praise. It says, Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He takes all that he's heard, he processes it, processes it, and declares this. This is what he says. I will exult in the Lord. It's not, I will exalt. I'm not going to, it's, it's not that he's saying, I'm going to lift up the Lord. I'm going to honor him. We should, but that's, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying the word exalt means to leap for joy, to be extremely joyful. That's kind of a, an odd reaction to me. Uh, exalt is used in the third verse of O Come, All Ye Faithful. It says, Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. O sing, all ye citizens of heaven above, glory to God, all glory in the highest. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. It's a, it's a proclamation from us saying, you choirs of angels that are singing about the birth of Christ, jump for joy. This is amazing what's going on here. This is what Christmas is. It's the birth of Christ, and we're thrilled about it. That's what he's talking about in that, uh, in that hymn. Here's the king of glory, and I'm going to celebrate. But when we look at what's surrounding Habakkuk, kind of makes us squirm a little bit, doesn't it? We say, Habakkuk, you have to be out of touch with reality here. There's something wrong with you. You're declaring a devastation on an entire nation, and you're jumping for joy? Why would you do that? Don't you know what's coming? And Habakkuk would say to us, he'd say, of course I know what's coming. Remember the conversation that I had with God? That's pretty serious. I think, uh, I think I have a good idea of what's going on here. And then he says, don't you know who God is? He says, look at the promises of God. Those things in the past, God has brought us through. And in the end, we win. And really, if you look at it, Habakkuk says, we do deserve judgment. But there is always hope. Always hope. Trust the Lord. Wow, what, what a reaction. To me, that's... That's mind-blowing, really. To think about my own troubles, my own trials, the things that are going on in my own life, and to say, I'm going to jump for joy and praise the Lord. That's a tough decision to make, isn't it? But Habakkuk says, oh, it's worth making that decision. He says, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Talking about salvation and strength. Habakkuk, you're, you're about to be pummeled here. You're going to be destroyed. Habakkuk's response was, I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, The just shall live by faith. Faith is, we've really complicated the word faith, haven't we? We talk about different faiths and, and different ideas. And, and, well, what is faith? Really, a simple truth of what faith is. Here it is. Unwavering trust in God's word. That's what faith is. Unwavering trust in God's word. Trust God because of what he's done in the past. And trust God because of what he said he will do in the future. 
because it's going to happen. Instead of doubting because of what my feeble eyes can see, my senses, you know, our senses can mislead us so many times, can't they? You know, colors can fade and, and sounds can be distorted and a great cut of meat will spoil if it's left out too long, right? But yet, God never changes. He's always faithful. He stays the same. And, and in this world of, of ups and downs and, and all arounds, it's good to know that we have a God who is faithful, a God who stays the same. Judah wouldn't be totally rejected by God. And Habakkuk no doubt knew of the coming Messiah that would give more than just a political freedom to Israel one day, to Israel and Judah. He would forever change what it meant to be a follower of God. And we see the fulfillment of that. We see the Messiah as Jesus Christ. And we see that, that it, it wasn't that political freedom that the Messiah this time at the birth of Christ would bring. It was the spiritual freedom that he would bring to our lives. Earlier in the chapter, Habakkuk says to God, In wrath, remember mercy. And that's what God does in our lives, doesn't he? I mean, we deserve to be punished because of, because of our own sin that, that we've committed, that we've brought on ourselves. We've brought on the judgment and condemnation of the police, right? So here we have it. In wrath, God would remember mercy. He would give us Jesus Christ to be the perfect, complete sacrifice for our sins. So not only do we see Habakkuk's praise here, but we also see Habakkuk's transformation. Look at verse 19. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hind's feet and has made me walk in my high places. Now a hind is a, is a deer, a female deer or a gazelle. And Habakkuk paints just this, this beautiful picture of what it's like to trust in God during tough times. He says, it's like a gazelle on a mountain. There's a book called Hind's Feet in High Places by Hannah Harrard. And uh, in, in her introduction to the book, this is what she says. From the garden at the back of the mission house at the foot of Mount Gerizim, which is at the West Bank in Israel, we would often watch the gazelles bounding up the mountainside, leaping from rock to rock with extraordinary grace and agility. Their, mo their motion was one of the most beautiful examples of exultant, there's that word jumping for joy, exultant and apparently effortless ease in surmounting obstacles which I have ever seen. With this picture, Habakkuk declares that our strength alone would not be enough to go through life's trials. There's no way that we could stand up and say, I'm going to face this on my own. I'm going to go through this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever it takes. I'm going to take care of this. The verse says, he has made my feet. It wasn't I made my feet. It was he has made my feet like Heinz feet. God has given us the feet of the gazelle. He's enabled us to gracefully jump for joy in the midst of troubles and trials. And really, in the midst of that trouble and trial, it's with ease. It's without a problem. 
And a lot of us might say, whoa, that's a little much for me. Okay, I, I understand the, the salvation that Christ can give us. But to jump for joy when bad things happen? What is that? It's a transformation in our lives. At the sportsman's dinner, I remember a striking picture of a mountain goat on the side of, of uh, a precipice. And it was amazing to me. I wondered how that mountain goat got there. Did somebody just like drop it off there or something? Or, you know, what happened? But really, that was home. That was comfortable. It was like not a problem for him, right? As he stood there and walked around, had no, no difficulty. With my feet, I'd need something more than my own two feet. I'd need a harness and, well, I probably wouldn't do it. But, <laughs> but for the gazelle or for the mountain goat, it was no problem. It wasn't an issue. He was unfazed by perilous circumstances, seemingly perilous circumstances. In Psalm 121, we see a similar picture. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountain. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. He's all-powerful. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps or preserves or saves, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. Throughout history, God has been preserving, saving, and keeping Israel. And we can trust that God is also preserving, saving, and keeping us as well. Because that's what his word tells us. So, we've seen the trouble. We've seen the triumph. Now, here's the testimony. This is what Habakkuk is saying here. This is his declaration. This is his testimony of what God has done in his life. It's really about how he was transformed and was able to handle life's difficulties. It's not that God removed those difficulties from his life. He didn't say, oh, well, Habakkuk, it does look a little difficult for you, so tell you what, let me take that out of your way for you. He didn't say that. Habakkuk said, God changed me. He changed my attitude, my perspective, my feet to be able to go through trials and struggles. The greatest, transform- <laughs> the greatest transformation that can take place in someone's life is made possible through the sacrifice of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, 12 and 13 says, Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ. Before salvation, there was a divide between us and Christ. We were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The birth that we celebrate, the whole reason for his birth, so that he could come and die for our sins and be raised again, showing his power over death and sin. How amazing. And all we have to do is say, God, I trust you. I have faith in your word. What you said, you said I'll have eternal life if I trust you. 
I believe that's going to happen. I believe that's going to take place. I believe I can have an extraordinary life here on earth as well as in the future in heaven with you. That is the greatest transformation that, some, that can take place in someone's life. And here's another change, another transformation that has taken place in Habakkuk's life. How do I deal with difficulties in my life? Romans chapter 12 Verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to its attitude. Don't be conformed to when trials and struggles come that we say, I'm going to take it, take it down. I'm going to take care of these troubles on my own. Because it's never successful like that. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, trust God, and he will prove you right time after time after time. He'll bring you through. That is what Habakkuk was saying. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this testimony of Habakkuk, and how in the midst of trouble, he could have triumph because of what you did in his life. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us so many blessings, so many things that aren't essential, so many extras that you've given us, that you've blessed us with. Help us not to be too comfortable with those things, but to always give you praise and glory for where it comes from. And Lord, when we do have trouble, when we do have struggle, when we do have times where we don't know what to do, Lord, help us to always, always, Be in your arms. Be resting in you and having confidence in you. Having been transformed from my clumsy feet to the gazelle's feet. That mount over troubles and struggles without a problem. With your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you have a testimony this morning. Maybe you want to share how God has worked in your life. Kind of like what happened in Habakkuk's life. This is a time where you can share it. You can tell what God is doing in your life. It's great for others to hear how God is working in your life so that they can say, I want God to work that same way in my life. I can trust that same God. Just like Habakkuk was telling about the stories of Israel's past and saying, that is a testimony. And that gives us confidence for the future. We can say, when others give testimony, I can trust God. Maybe you're looking for that transformation in your life. Maybe you haven't found God in your life Maybe you're looking for that initial transformation of being brought near to Christ. This is a good opportunity. That's one of the greatest testimonies in the world is to see someone saved by God's grace and power. Maybe you want to experience the transformation that Habakkuk was talking about. You see struggles coming before you, You know it's coming. You can feel the impact. So what do I do now? 
I need that transformation. This is a time. This is a time to respond as we worship.